This is Statement Piece, the podcast. My name's Sita. And my name's Sophie. Welcome to the new era of the podcast, where we talk about everything from Nepo babies to middle school fashion nightmares. Stay tuned. Today we're going to talk about something that we believe is so hand-in-hand with fashion. And it's kind of surprising, but also kind of not. It is tennis. Tennis. (laughs) (laughs) I love how every time we try to relay me and say, it's great. So to give some backstory on why we picked this topic in the first place, I think it was right around when the U.S. Open was happening and, you know, it was Serena Williams' last Grand Slam tournament. Mm-hmm. And as she is herself an icon, an iconoclast in uh, the tennis sphere, it's something that we really wanted to discuss. Also, I played tennis when I was younger. Not well, but I played it. I tried to play tennis once at a summer camp and was very um, sternly warned just by the circumstances, not by anyone, that I should never ever do it again. Oh no. Yes. I'm not even I can't even do ping pong slash table tennis, so I should I don't want to hit balls with rackets. I see. So the most I can do is whack a mole. Oh. Like that's the closest to tennis I can get. Oh. <laughs> I got it. No. <laughs> Yeah, but one part I loved about playing tennis was definitely the outfits, you know, like picking what you wanted to wear. It's a sport where it can be aesthetic. Yes, I have not let my inability to play tennis stop me from wearing tennis-inspired outfits, so. Yeah, and with the rise of the tennis skirt from a couple years ago, uh, we thought, why not delve into the history of fashion in tennis and tennis fashion and how the two go hand in hand. Alright, so let's get started on a little bit of history. Originally, there was court tennis, which was predominantly played by males. You know, they had their thing, whatever. Women played croquet and um, were often spectators of court tennis. And because of the increased demand and enthusiasm for croquet, this created lawn tennis, which was almost like a mix of court tennis and croquet. And you were telling me earlier that uh, particularly when it became combined and both genders could partake in lawn tennis, that it became also kind of a social experience as, as well as an athletic one. A meet cute, if meet you will. Cute. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. And so at that time, let's go, I mean, it was the 1870s. Yeah. At that um, time, you know, they wanted to dress to impress. Mm-hmm. So women were wearing long skirts, corsets, and men were wearing blazers and flannel trousers. Can mm-hmm. you imagine playing tennis in that? No. I can't even imagine playing tennis and wearing in tennis clothes, <laughs> much less like an entire, what sounds like an entire ensemble that I could probably barely wear walking around every day. Yeah. So true. Which is interesting because when you think about fashion and tennis, then you do think about how the fashion and the looks that went into what the players wore were a lot more important than mobility or, you know, actually being good at the sport. Yeah, well, it makes sense, and it makes sense even considering not to jump too far ahead, but the, you know, what we see now about tennis is like a, a social sport, like feeding into, uh, you know, the fashion world, because naturally if, it's a, if something's going to be a social sphere, then like fashion is always going to follow it. You know, and so it's always like tennis seems like in its history, it always has this sort of utility as not just a sport, but also like a 
part of society and like a place for people to congregate and meet each other and kind of like you know show themselves off and so Mm -hmm. it makes sense completely that fashion and even like at the expense of um, functionality would play such an essential role in yeah in the sport yeah that's a, a good point so we're going from blazers flannels corsets and long skirts and then women basically women's outfits evolved a little bit and pulled more from lawn dresses uh which were often seen where worn to garden parties or go to the races Mm -hmm. that sort of thing and when i mean lawn dresses i mean long cotton linen white usually dresses with lace inserts and embroidery which has been on my list of things to look for for myself (laughs) as i have been vintage shopping quite a bit recently so to recap it's like still very feminine but the linens and the light cloths makes it seem like it might be a bit more okay to like sweat in than like anything previously is that right yes and that's a great point because uh the rule kind of where tennis players must wear all white started off in the Victorian era, but it definitely was an influence from playing croquet and kind of being part of the higher stratospheres of society, where they wanted to have attire that was meant to keep players cool, also to less likely have uh, sweat stains. Mm -hmm. And because of that, uh, and also because white symbolizes, you know, virtue and like purity. So that's why there was a rule that kind of played a part where people who might have not had the same look or values were kind of kept out of tennis clubs. Mm-hmm. So it's also kind of been an exclusive sport yeah. in many ways. Which I think when you, again, not to jump forward too far, but like when you look at like Serena Williams and the people who've like, who's, you know, I think as we've said, she's an icon in tennis, but she's also kind of become an icon in fashion and an icon in tennis fashion. I mm-hmm. think a huge part of her style, I think, has also been, like, challenging kind of those norms of tennis, and I think a huge part of, like, what you see in the evolution of tennis style seems to be also, like, even though it is still, you know, very oppressive in some ways and not something that obviously changes overnight, like, the evolution in tennis style kind of mirrors an evolution in, like, women's style in general that's like looking more into functionality rather than just like the kind of prim and proper like corsets um you know long sleeve shirts like modest eras that came before it's it's interesting that you bring up this idea of form versus function because in the 80s 1887 the wimbledon championship this woman named charlotte dodd who was known as lottie She's only 15 years old, and uh, she was one of the final players, and she was able to wear clothing that wasn't as restricting because she was a lot younger. It almost resembled a school uniform, so she didn't have to wear the corset. She had uh, a skirt that was only calf length instead of to the floor, and she ended up winning, and some of the opponents actually argued that this gave her an unfair advantage, that she had more mobility and agility and so there from there it was kind of furthered by this other tennis player named Suzanne Langland who also was deemed inappropriate in what she was wearing mm-hmm. uh, and she was wearing a floppy hat short sleeves and a skirt that only was calf length 
mm-hmm. with some shoes and you know people thought that was so indecent at the time well you know what's interesting in uh about tennis fashion is that even for men there was they had to have a reckoning right with short sleeves yes yes so you're so right so originally they would wear long sleeves and then Mr. Rene Lacoste came in and thought, okay, I am going to change it from long sleeves to short sleeves. Instead of a button-up, it's just going to be a collar. Mm-hmm. And the collar was thought that it could be propped up and like protect the player's neck from the sun. Basically a modern-day polo shirt. Yeah, and exactly. if the name Lacoste means anything to you or rings a few bells, it should. Because not only was Rene Lacoste a tennis player... Right, but he obviously founded the Lacoste brand that we all now know and potentially love. I don't know how you <laughs> feel about it. Pretty preppy, but I like, I mean, even I love some of the stuff that comes out there. And the little crocodile logo was actually came from him being called the crocodile as his nickname. So it all kind of, it's, you know, sometimes the changes in tennis it seems like come from the outside in but sometimes they can come from the inside out too it seems like it's a recurring recurring theme in tennis no that's so true to continue along that thought so later then in like the 50s fred perry came along and for those of you who are fans of streetwear fred perry is a pretty well-known brand nowadays i had no idea he was a tennis player and then also started his own brand and he also kind of followed suit in the polo style of shirt but the logo, uh, it was actually an evolved, if anyone's seen the logo, it's kind of like an embroidered wreath on every single polo, mm-hmm. and it was actually, it was actually evolved from the Wimbledon logo, mm-hmm. which is very interesting, and his shirts were picked up by a lot of the youth at the time, and then came out with colored shirts, mm-hmm. um, and some colors in men's clothing which had never been seen in tennis. You know, just to add on to that, kind of, I think we might be jumping ahead a little bit chronologically, and so you can back up if I'm jumping too far, but, you know, it is interesting how there are so many brands, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, that have, again, originated from tennis players, and then also Jorn Borg, who was like a Swedish tennis player, um, he was endorsed Fila, which obviously made athletic wear and I think kind of that did a lot to like help put them on the map too which was also a time when color kind of started to become a little bit more of a factor in tennis clothing whereas before it was you know again that all white clothing yeah and that that rose to popularity because of color television Mm -hmm. so now spectators from all across the world could see tennis players in you know different colors and it wasn't as abnormal it also added to what was seen as the excitement of watching tennis. <laughs> and then you had other tennis players, of course, I forget whether this was in the 80s or 90s, but, um, you know, Andre Agassi, uh, right. when he played in one uh, Grand Slam, he had, um, he wore denim shorts. And so it's even though, like, and that was obviously after the advent of, like, color television. So he, but he was still did that um, as a form of protest against the kind of, like, the rigors of the tennis uniform or the the high standards that still dictated like what was and wasn't appropriate for players to wear and then later in 2004 Serena Williams wore a denim outfit Mm -hmm. uh, that was designed by Nike 
that also kind of was designed to pay tribute to Andre Agassi's mm-hmm. like denim shorts. So it all kind of um, they all kind of like blend together, but it shows that. And I think we can all remember that at one point yeah. after she gave birth to her daughter, I think it was the uh, Roland Garros, the French uh, okay. Open. Serena Williams wore like a cat suit, which was while like it looked great on her, was also like had the function uh, of like uh, helping her with like blood clots mm-hmm. and like had a had a medical function that was like necessary for her and she still got pushed back and I think it's like showing how you know even though we can look back and like at the origins of tennis and see oh my god like we've come so far people aren't playing in corsets and like long skirts like there is still something to rebel against even after all this change well I'll say like even the big announcement that she made like right before her final like tennis tournament at the US Open was that she said she's moving away from tennis but I think one of the things that's very obvious with Serena in particular is her love for fashion and I think that what's uh, did you know she actually went to school for design and merchandising yes I feel like I definitely knew that I also knew I, I forget whether it was Venus or Serena but they also like one of them like I forget whether they like went to beauty school or took classes but like in to be like a manicurist because mm-hmm. they like doing their nails mm-hmm. so much so they're like you know I think both of them but I think you know Serena Williams in particular like is like they're 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 both of them are, I think are schooled in fashion you know have like bring a uh, knowledge of fashion I think that's also spans outside of the tennis world because I know that Serena has like her own fashion line that has had like fashion shows that mm-hmm. are not uh they're not just active wear lines they're they're expanding outwards and I think you know Serena's if you look back like even her earliest look like with the um white beads in her hair mm-hmm. um which she and Venus had which you know I think at the premiere of King Richard her daughter had those white beads in like is again such an iconic look but that's even like from her earliest point of her career so it's like her uh, imagery has like really defined uh, and fashion has really defined her her whole like legacy you know I think she can more than anyone sort of bridge this gap one step further by taking her personality just outside of the world of tennis and bringing it into the fashions the larger fashion sphere not that no other tennis player has ever made that jump before um you know we were very used to like seeing uh, tennis players be representatives for different uh, brands. I know Roger Federer has uh, definitely had some like high fashion endorsements. Emma Raducanu, uh, who's a young tennis player, is you know currently an ambassador for Dior. Yeah, but it's like Coco Gauff and like New Balance. Yeah, yeah. and um, I know even like uh, uh, well Serena Williams was also like a very big supporter of the late Virgil Abloh, kind mm-hmm. of, like, I think pre-off-white. I don't know, I think, but I think she as, like, sort of, like, the person when you think of tennis, like, you think of Serena Williams. Like, she, I think, is using her power to take her influence in fashion in tennis. Like, I think that's gonna be something that I think we're gonna see from her in the future, like, her driving that passion into, uh, you know, just regular day-to-day wear. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was so... I guess almost courageous of her to go into, you know, building a fashion line but not going into active wear because you see so many athletes create their own brands and it is active wear, mm-hmm. but she wanted something for the everyday woman. 
Well, I think also, though, if, like, one of the, probably the best ideas she's had is probably not going in so hard into activewear, because, I mean, maybe she has, like, some sort of, I don't, I, I haven't, like, seen enough if she has, like, some kind of, like, functional leggings or whatever, but it's certainly not something that is, like, a standout in, uh, in her designs, but I feel like her not, like, if a celebrity puts out their activewear line, then they have to wear their activewear line, like, if they're an athlete, right? Like, then she would have to wear her Serena Williams outfits in tennis, but I think that by not doing that, um, she's freed herself up to do these really interesting partnerships with, like, different designers and different brands, which I think, you know, makes, has made her look, even up until her very final look with the little, like, diamonds in her hair, like, so much more exciting than if she had to stick with, like, one brand, even if that brand was her own. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I think she's definitely a great example of how you can grow in an industry, mm-hmm. but then expand to even more. And, yeah. I mean, I think if anyone's seen the, there's the docu-series of, called Becoming Serena, and it kind of goes through her process of when she had her baby and everything, and just her thoughts afterwards as she's you know evolved in her career you can't be unfortunately a tennis player forever yes yeah and obviously i think she she is a great example of showing i am a multifaceted person and here's what i'm going to do mm-hmm. and she has the eyes on that on she has the eyes on her to be able to do that yeah which is in such a unique position mm-hmm. that not many people have so i i, I honestly can't wait to see the future of her Espy Serena line and also what else she'll be doing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I think that, so she did a, a interview for Vogue where she looked at all of her different looks from, mm-hmm. um, you know, over her career. And one of the things that became apparent to me when I watched it was that she had a very strong relationship with Vogue. Now, um, maybe she had a very strong relationship with other um, publications, but, and this was obviously, I was watching a Vogue video, so they certainly played it up, but, like, you know, she was the chair of the Met Gala, I think, during the camp year. Really? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure, and she wore, um, she wore a big ruffly skirt, but I remember she wore, like, tennis shoes or, like, sneakers. Yes. With that. I have this right here. Um. 2019 Met Gala, she wore custom-made, we'll put a photo right here. (laughs) We'll put a photo. Uh, custom made Nikes by Virgil Abloh and her Versace gown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I it's... mean she's also been on three covers of Vogue. Yes, which is I... what an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean I think that though, like, you know, I think with a lot of fashion designers and with a lot of, you know, I think that's also just getting into even like celebrity brands too. Like... Oh, sorry, she's been on four covers, three solo covers. Oh wow. Dang. Yeah. Damn Serena. <laughs> Killing it off the court too. Oh, Shoes. I was thinking like, let's think thinking about going into like celebrity brands, mm. right? We're so oversaturated with you know, celebrity brands and like everyone has a skincare line. And everyone's trying to like obviously if you start a brand the whole the biggest question you can answer is like what are you adding to this, right? Like mm-hmm. what is your fresh perspective on it? And I like it's so hard for celebrities to actually come up with good answers to that question. But I feel like with Serena and fashion, and even with like athletes and in, in general, like moving into the fashion world, like they have their own 
perspective on how fashion and how clothing can serve them Mm -hmm. in a way that is like they have been you know had to do rigorous feats under extreme pressure with the entire world watching them and you know images that could potentially like last into eternity like end up in history books the way so many you know athletic events have and I think that you if you really care about that especially tennis players are like they're not teams right they're individuals so you have to make yourself stand out as an individual and you have to represent yourself so what you wear in those instances is like so it's so important to to like think about your clothing and I think that that actually can lend itself really well to having a new and unique perspective on clothing that you can then bring to like a fashion line which makes a lot of so it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways why, why like in a weird way tennis players are uniquely poised to like step into the world of fashion yeah yeah that's a great point sophie thank you Cisha. you know i think that was beautifully said i don't really have anything else to add well let's you know i think the best way to wrap this up would be to talk about how tennis wear has affected our style like what do we think about you know tennis outfits and do we have anything in our closet that's inspired by tennis i definitely had a tennis skirt but this was before the resurgence of the tennis skirt in 2020 Mm -hmm. uh this was back when american apparel was still alive and well and there was the american apparel tennis skirt i don't know if you remember this but i I think i do i think it was called like their courtside skirt or something like that Mm -hmm. which i had well i think with tennis fashion especially after playing tennis it highlighted to me how you can bring the aesthetic and the design into other sports. Mm-hmm. So, like, golf is an easy one because I think a lot of tennis wear can be worn by while playing golf. But even in Pilates or pit workouts, like, you can still be cute if you want to. You know, more and more, I feel like you see, I've seen, like, workout skirts become a thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that you couldn't, I think tennis is certainly the... Uh, arena that I think has most that and maybe like a figure skating uh, which is also very um, like designer kind of dominated and very kind of like appearance focused like both of those have pioneered and really pushed the functional skirt as a workout piece that I now see I feel like I for me I was like a very preppy kid when I was little but I think as I've grown up I've become more and more interested in like preppiness just even if there's like a touch so I definitely own I don't I don't own I think a tennis skirt per se Mm -hmm. I definitely own like a polo and I've definitely like been in a Lacoste store I think I did own actually a Lacoste wallet for a little bit while I was younger and I think I might still have it it just kind of like got taken out of circulation but like for sure, Lacoste has like been a brand that I've like known and interacted with. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's it's a staple. It's like one of those brands that you don't even need to know about fashion to know. That's Lacoste. true. That's true. It is a a global globally recognizable. I do also have to say, tennis is my favorite sport to watch. I kind of agree. I love watching tennis. I also think what's really interesting when you go to any of these larger tournaments, especially the Grand Slam tournaments 
the fashion there of the spectators, of course, is also really interesting, yes. and it differs. Like mm-hmm. Wimbledon has its own aesthetic. U.S. Open versus Roland Garros. Um, I've not been to the Australian Open. For example, at Wimbledon, depending on where you sit, there are some dress code suggestions. They say they're suggestions because they don't want to say that they're rules. Mm-hmm. But um, so they do say to dress smartly. So no hats for ladies and gents. And if you're a man, you would, would have to wear a jacket and tie. And this is specifically if you're in the royal box. So obviously you're more likely to see royal members there. In the box behind, it's just more smartly dressed. Again, no hats. But one of their main things is that they are not allowed any... If you wear a political slogan to Wimbledon, you're not allowed in mm-hmm. at all. Now, Sisha, I know uh, a couple of years ago you went to the U.S. Open, so... What did you uh, wear and how did you approach picking out an outfit for it? Great question. Uh, Well, one, it's right before Labor Day weekend, which if anyone lives in New York, it's one of the hottest weekends pretty much of the summer. Very humid, very sweaty. And also if you're sitting in some of the courts, you're going to be sitting in direct sunlight. So I kind of kept that in mind. I wore a little straw hat. Cute. And I wore this red uh, ruffle dress, it's from Maj, and these platform shoes from Robert Clergy, Clergy, however you pronounce it, Mm -hmm. excuse me, that are basically, it's like woven, like straw. Yeah. It sounds almost like coastal grandma chic, dare I say? Yeah. Coastal, like stepmom chic, but yeah. Okay. I'll take it. A cousin of coastal grandma. Yes, exactly. That's cute. Yeah, so I was still, like, cool, protected from the sun, and then it was still kind of cute. But it was very comfortable. Yeah. I feel like if you need any kind of litmus test on, like, how uh, tennis is viewed in society, like, the the way spectators dress is, like, such a specific and important, like, distinction, like... You can go to a football game, like, and not even wear, like, if you're a guy, not even wear a shirt. You know, obviously, the key thing, if you are wearing clothing in, uh, <laughs> at a football game, like, you're most likely wearing a jersey. Yeah. But, like, you never see people, like, I know um, Alexis, Serena's husband, got a lot of attention for kind of, like, you know, his, their daughter even, like, kind of, like, for referencing Serena and, like... Uh, in his outfit, he wore, like, a picture of their daughter, like, pointing at Serena, and that, you know, got, like, that became, like, kind of a viral, like, moment. But it just kind of highlights how, you know, uncouth it is to even go in wearing, like, you can't even wear a, like, I mean, I guess you could technically wear a quote-unquote Serena shirt, but, like, there was no jerseys, there was no teams, like, Yeah, it's not so true. Same. That is very true. Yeah. And I was going to say it's an American thing, but it isn't. Because even if you look at soccer in other countries, there are jerseys that individuals can wear to represent their team. But maybe it's also because it's so individualized, like individual players. Like, there isn't a team that you're supporting. It's an individual. Mm -hmm. It's just definitely something to think about. And it's like, with tennis, I feel like, especially the more and more you peel back, like, the more and more unique and kind of idiosyncratic it feels especially in like the current sports landscape which isn't something I'm necessarily familiar with but in the broad (laughs) strokes you can definitely tell that it it stands out yeah well some great thoughts today Sophie Mm -hmm. thank you for discussing with me yes my favorite sport (laughs) 
and a sport that I cannot play. Maybe we could do a tennis lesson together. Okay, yeah, that would be great content for like, I don't know, what, funnierdie.com. <laughs> <laughs> if we ever, if funnierdie.com wants to partner us and sponsor me taking a tennis lesson, You'd be I, up would, for it? I would do it. But unless, other than those conditions, probably no. Okay. Well, we'll keep that up there. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for today, everyone. Thank you for listening. Yeah, that's it. That's all we got. <laughs>